0: Welcome to edition 3 of Spindrift. My name is Ken Matthews. I am such a naive person. I believed for years that all it took to build a house, or any other type of building, was a design and a firm of builders to do the actual construction. Of course, being less than talented in the design field, I would need to employ a firm of architects to draw up the blueprints and specifications to meet my requirements. These would then be passed on to the construction firm for the builders to follow and I would move in when they'd finished. Of course, the architects would design and specify according to the budget I had available. Simple, isn't it? Not if the building in question is the new parliament in Edinburgh. It has just been announced that 15,000 design changes have been made since the blueprints and specifications for the new building were approved ...by the Scottish Parliament. It was approved by the Scottish Parliament, wasn't it? Well, not if you believe all the wriggling members of the Scottish Parliament, no. They would have us believe that the late Donald Dewar was to blame for the entire fiasco. I think it is about time that a report should be released detailing all of these 15,000 design changes along with the cost of each individual item as well as the identity of the instigator behind it. Dare I suggest that the name of Donald Dewar will not appear on a single change? (music) And now, sports item number one. Sex offenders, when sentenced by the courts, are placed on the sex offender register. This register is kept to ensure that the authorities can keep track of the offender's whereabouts as well as giving police a starting point in their inquiries should sex attacks take place in the immediate vicinity. Football fans that cause trouble at matches get placed on a hooligan register and are not allowed into football grounds anywhere. In some cases, these so-called fans are even forbidden to travel abroad. Or very laudable and understandable. I'm sure you will agree. Now, there are headlines almost every day about footballers who fall foul of the law. From assault to rape and almost everything in between. Currently, we have the Leicester City Spanish Furore with all its implications. And the question is, is it now reached the time when we should have a register for footballers? Somewhere that people can go to check to see if one lives in their area. Silly me. That is unlikely, isn't it? One living in your area, I mean. They're already imprisoned in multi-million pound estates, hidden away behind high fences and security cameras. Now, the question is, is that to keep us away from them, or is it to keep them away from us? Spindrift notes with interest that prisons in England and Wales are fast approaching bursting point. The number of prisoners incarcerated has now reached 74,960. However, the prison services capacity is only 75,191 and they are now just 231 places from over capacity. We are assured by a prison service spokeswoman that they are exploring all options. This expression is sounding alarm bells deep down inside me. Whenever I hear that phrase, it generally means that whoever utters it will try to unload whatever their problem is on Scotland. The last episode, to my knowledge, but you may know differently, was the attempt by Thames Water to export its sewage to Dull Candy Cast Mine in Lanarkshire. Thankfully, that effort was rejected, and I like to think that this column had a hand in the refusal. You what, Del Boy? You're going to bottle water from the tap in the kitchen and sell it as designer spring water? Don't be daft! Nobody'll buy it. That's where you're dead wrong, Rodders. I can sell it for a pound a pint. You what? You only pay topness for a gallon of the bleeding stuff. Get away, Dell. That's plain daft. Nobody'll buy it. You are such a plonker, Rodney. Quite so. Have you seen the new bottled water drink in your local supermarket called Dasani? It costs 95 pence for a half litre and is made by Coca-Cola. Ah, you may think, it must be good if it's produced by Coke. Well, I think I made a mistake in that last statement. The water is not exactly made by Coca-Cola. They take their raw material, i.e. water, from a tap. Admittedly a huge tap from the water mains in Sidcup, southeast London. Rumour has it that not only is Dasani produced by Coca-Cola, it's also been passed by the local populace several times, the water in some parts of London being recycled. It is estimated that any water you drink in London has already been through the organs of five other people, not to mention elsewhere. This recycled water means the oestrogen levels in water, and ultimately in males, are higher, with the resultant low sperm count and more effeminate males. Coca-Cola insists, however, that the water goes through a purification process which involves three filters to remove, and I quote, particles and debris, including chlorine, before passing through a stage known as reverse osmosis, which removes, and again I quote, Bacteria, viruses, salts, minerals, sugars, proteins and toxin particles. Ah yes, I see. Uh, No, no thanks, no tea thanks. Just a glass of milk please dear. And now sports item number two. Will people never learn? What chances are punters of winning with a bet on a horse race? Do they really think that if they sit down and read the form book from cover to cover that they will spot the horse that is going to win? When Spindrift was a lad and the winning horse was the one that passed the winning post first, it was still impossible to find a winner. The nearest thing to a good system was the housewife's favourite method of sticking a pin in the list of runners. In those days, it was not uncommon for the long odds-on favourite in a three-horse race to come in last. This, despite the fact that the other two horses had only three legs, and were about to give birth to twin foals the next day. The fixing was so obvious that the stewards threw up their hands in horror when the fraud was pointed out to them. Presumably, they were wearing blinkers as they never noticed it themselves. They stated firmly that they were going to clean up the sport. The racing authorities have this week thrown up their hands once again and stated firmly that they were going to clean up the sport and stamp out horse race fixing. You what, Gov? You mean you never sorted it out before? No. This was brought about by Kieran Fallon, the champion jockey who has been named as fixing a race by slowing down and allowing another horse to win. I have to admit that the horse he eventually lost to was so slow catching up to him – he had a ten-length lead with a furlong to go – that he could have drunk a cup of tea and read a newspaper. Yes, it was that spectacular. It later turned out that before the race, Kieran Fallon just couldn't keep his lip buttoned and confirmed to some well-heeled punters that the horse he was to ride would not win. Oops. It transpired that they weren't wealthy patrons of the sport at all, but newspaper reporters. In this technological age, betting is carried out worldwide on the internet and betting is not confined to the horse first past the post. The big money is to be made predicting which horse will win while the race is still being run. The money you could win, for instance, wouldn't be very much if you bet on the horse that was leading the race by 10 lengths with a furlong to go. Oh no. You'd probably have to bet a £1,000 in order to win £1, plus your stake back, of course. However, if you knew that the horse that was 10 lengths up was not going to win and knew which horse was going to win, then you'd be able to bet £100 and win £100,000 given the 1,000 to 1 odds. And the ordinary punter? Well, he's gone down to the pawn shop to sell something to put some food on the table. But he's confident of getting his money back tomorrow though. For he's just had a tip for a dead cert that's going to win at 10 to 1. As I say, they never learn. In the last edition of Spindrift, I was telling you about the theft of the place name signs from the village of Lost in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. I went on to finish that story with the comment, if that's the case, then why not make the sign out of a huge granite boulder with the name engraved on it? Not only would it look very impressive, just think of the logistics of stealing it. Well, hardly have the words dripped from my quill than news of another dastardly theft has come to my attention. And, I'm ashamed to admit it has provoked a sneaking admiration in my soul as to the audacity of the thieves. In my story about the Scottish village of Lost, I couldn't imagine thieves coming along with a lorry and crane in order to filch a huge granite name sign. Obviously, people in the Ukraine heard of the impudent thefts of our village name signs and decided not to emulate our thefts, but show that Ukrainians could be far more enterprising. This week, a museum in the city of Donetsk had an antique 14.5 ton steam locomotive nicked. Presumably, it was stolen to go along with the 11 metre steel bridge over the river Svalyavka that had disappeared a couple of weeks earlier. Sports item number three. Football managers in the main have my sympathy. It's tough at the top having a successful, unbeatable team and trying to make sure they keep on winning week after week. Of course, it's even tougher if you're bottom of the league or close to it and having to battle against your team being relegated along with the inevitable loss of your job. Consider then The problems of a manager of a football team close to that dire prediction, trying to pick a team to beat your opponents who are the best in the land by a distance and making sure that your tactics are right. Then you learn that the manager of the opposing team gets to pick your team as well, with the opposing manager dropping your best player, ensuring that your team gets stuffed 5-1. Having done that once, this opposing manager then chooses yet again to drop your best player. Uh, Wait a minute, who's running your team? Or has Spindrift gone crackers? That scenario surely can't happen, can it? Surely the football authorities stopped the nonsense of people being able to influence the outcome of football matches years ago. Didn't they stop investors owning more than one football team? Weren't all those measures taken in order to stop manipulation of football results because punters were betting on the results, even betting on the likely score of the match? Isn't it likely that not being allowed to play your best player could change the result or the score in the match where the ban is imposed? Shouldn't all these questions be asked at the highest level in football if these events are actually happening in the sport? Well, Spindrift is just quoting the facts, ma'am. Simply quoting the facts. Livingston did get stuffed 5-1 and they did drop their best player David Fernandes at the behest of the Celtic manager Martin O'Neill. They are about to meet Celtic again. And the result is as before. Livingstone has been instructed, yet again, not to play their star man, David Fernandez. I leave you to draw your own conclusions. Well, that's it for this third edition of Spindrift. So, from my lofty eerie on top of the fourth road bridge, I will keep an eye out for more gossip, and I will be back. Don't forget, Spindrift. This is Kenneth J. Matthews. Bye.